Giving Credit is a podcast giving those making a difference their credit. On a weekly basis, we'll be interviewing parents, tech CEOs, financial experts, kid entrepreneurs, and others to learn about credit, education, financial literacy, and building wealth equity. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our next installment of Kitty Credit's brand new podcast, Giving Credit. I'm Annika Jackson, your host and the chief mom of Kitty Credit, and I'm here with Stephen Cleveland. Welcome, Stephen. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So on the podcast, we're having a wide variety of guests from the founder of Kitty Credit to tech entrepreneurs, kid entrepreneurs, parents, interested parties, and you are a multi-entrepreneur and a parent. So I'm really excited that you could join us today. Nice uh, to be here. The first thing that I want to get into is you, your background. How, who are you? What's your story? And <laughs> then how does that relate to finance and credit? And how did that form you? So I, one of the things I think that I'm exploring in this moment is understanding the importance of place and defining who we are. So I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, both my mom and my dad and myself uh, were all, so both of them and me were all born at the same hospital, which was a county hospital, uh, which speaks a little bit about sort of our economic status. Uh, also, uh, it really set a worldview for me as I moved from there to East Texas, to Northern California, I then went to school in Southern California, uh, and then found myself uh, moving uh, to Hawaii, uh, then New York, and then back to Alabama, uh, and then back to Northern California, back to Southern California. But that really gave me a sense of, I spent you know, three months in Salt Lake City, uh, just living around the country really gave me a sense of what it really felt like to be American, to understand the commonalities of that American experiences, the challenges, uh, the joy. And so that's one of the things that I got. Who I am is partially with the places I have been. Mm. Yeah, I understand that. I've moved around a lot myself um, growing up in Kansas and then living in Kansas City, Chicago, LA, San Francisco. LA, Houston, LA, <laughs> a lot of ping-ponging. And I agree with you completely. Like that completely shapes who we are and our narratives and seeing, you know, what jobs you had in different places and how the economic impact shaped who you are today, right? Well, also job opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. If I'd have lived in Alabama my whole life, uh, there's a different set of jobs that folks who live in Alabama have. California. California is really uh, such a diverse palette of work opportunities uh, that really allows you to sort of uh, go with what uh, inspires you a little bit more. I think to some places you live at, you can be inspired as hell about being an artist, but if you mm. don't have jobs in being mm. an artist, then there's, you'll be working in a factory, right? You'll do the thing that's required to survive. And I think that's one of the upsides of traveling around and living in places where I had the opportunity to pursue art, which is sort of my passion, uh, really, you know, it doesn't exist everywhere. Yeah. It's had a big impact on who we become. And, and I think it's important to note that, right, too. I think a lot of people take for granted the opportunities you're given in 
just seeing the world differently, worldview shifting from being in a predominantly red community, a predominantly conservative community, moving to more progressive communities. How does it make you see the world? And I'm from Alabama, where people in California make fun of Alabama, and in Alabama, people make fun of California, right? This, this, these people have simplified <laughs> views of spaces that I know intimately. And it really did shape me to really understand and see the world in a different way. See the humanity in folks and not simplify the cartoonish view. Right, the caricatures. Um, so when did finance and credit first come into existence for you? It most definitely was college. I and mean, I grew up poor uh, at a time of being poor with super sexy to anybody except for uh, those who weren't poor like everybody <laughs> wanted to claim poverty why because poverty was you know uh, it, it impacted your ability to make art it impacted your yeah. realness and your connection with humanity the grittiness of humanity and a lot of people wanted to be connected with that except for poor people who wanted to be rich <laughs> so I grew, I grew up in that space and so for me uh when I went to college, I made uh, as much in that year as my family did. So my, wow. my annual income was what my family's was. And so economically for me, it was an awakening, right? This notion of savings, right? You don't save when you make enough money, you make less money than you required to live. Saving is not really a big part of your mm -hmm. priority. So for me, I learned savings uh, and I learned uh, what I thought uh, this, I got access to my first free money, aka a credit card, oh. uh, which was free money. And so I spent most of that money on buying my, my brother clothing, right? As a good brother should. Uh, and so I carried that debt for about five, seven years. Uh, wow. It negatively impacted my credit. So I started credit with a whole bunch, maxing my credit lines, not paying the monthlies. That was my intro to credit because for uh, people who didn't know any better, credit cards were just free money, and they were giving them away like bubble gum on mm -hmm. campuses because they were trying to get people to start their, their credits. And so for me, it was maximizing it. I got an extended line a couple of times. They were like, you hit your limit. Let's give you more. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I filled it up pretty good by the time I got to grad school. What, so why did you use your first free money to buy your brother clothes instead of spending, most people I would think would spend it on themselves, buy themselves things for your, you know, being in college. I mean, that's, I remember that's what I did. I was like, pizza every day for everybody, I'll pay, you know, things like that, like just really silly things. Um, but you actually were kind of altruistic in going into debt to pay for somebody else's stuff. Well, I mean, the reality again that I was making as much money as my family. Mm. was my brother didn't really have an opportunity to get clothing. So oh. you know, it was the idea of me being able to give him something that I wasn't able to get when I was his age. Oh. Uh, and it seemed like a, a good way to use this free money that was being given to me. Uh, mm. So yeah, I did it. I remember Old Navy uh, got in the gap, got a big portion of that. <laughs> and my brother looked real good for those uh, undergrad years. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh... When did you first realize that that negative experience on your credit was impacting you in your business? 
it, it was probably I'm realizing grad school, you know, hmm. that, that I ended up having a negative rating, but it never impacted me until I. Uh, so, so I was an entrepreneur even in, in, in undergrad. To be clear, I started my first company uh, while I was in undergrad as a production company. Mm. And so, as I started to do business with that, I started realizing I needed, you know, one of the biggest hindrances to early start a business is cash flow. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, realized the power of having good credit to get yourself a line of credit that allows you to cash flow things, right? Because a lot of times you have to turn around, turn down opportunities, and I'm sure you experienced this a lot of folks when you're starting businesses and you don't have a lot of resources then you get a contract that's a reimbursable contract, which oftentimes the governmental stuff that I was getting when I was starting off was that you gotta have cash flow in order to handle the reimbursement. So I get a $100,000 contract if I don't have a minimum of 25,000 in a line of credit or cash sitting around, then I can't finance this contract, which means that like I'm in a spot where I have to turn it down because I can't pay the money to then get reimbursed because Government money is slow to return. So I, I was looking at 90 to 120 days uh, reimbursement for these governmental contracts. Oh so God. I have to carry a line of credit that allows me to facilitate that. And with my credit being bumped because I had done this extended this, but before I didn't have access to that line and it really made it difficult for me to sort of maneuver the, idea, the world of trying to, to, to start to start work. And so uh, it took me a while to sort of rebuild. I made a consorted effort to do so, so that I could get it. And I, you know, I just found it's magic. I was like, all right, so if I got 10K in the bank and good credit, I can get 40, $50,000 line of credit to, to move forward with. And I was like, wow. So it's just the magic of, 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 of credit and how it can help you, you know, make money. Like, I was like, I can make money because I have access to money. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that sort of the, the transition was, you know, in my early entrepreneurial work, realizing the importance of credit and helping facilitate the work. Nice. And what, as a parent, now you have a child who is outside of the kitty credit age, but I'd love to hear how you've taught your daughter about credit and finance? I've been slow to the game, I gotta say. It's something that her and I talked about really recently. She was like, I really want you to get me ready because she's about to go to college, 17. And she's like, I would love for you to get me ready for you know going out there in the world and doing things. And so it's really, to me, the biggest thing that I've been dealing with is like, all right, building the habits of visioning specifically mm-hmm. Uh, which which requires you know monthly check-ins on your finances, uh, you know, watching expenses and incomes, uh, and then being really clear. Always something I talk about is what winning looks like for you. Like mm-hmm. sort of like if you're saving, what are you saving for? What's the goal? Like you know like saving to get concert tickets versus saving to get a car, which right. allows you to have access to work. Which then you know so it's like having a plan to spend at least fraction of your, your savings that you're saving on stuff that that's growth oriented as opposed to just spending stuff that's like dead money right and so uh yeah uh, you know the best lesson i ever heard was uh, the best way to save money is to fold it and put it back in your pocket <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah i i can't um 
well, I don't want to swear. So I won't say what my Kansas born and bred stepdad would say about having money in your blank pocket at all times, but same kind of advice. Right. The advice from our elders, those who've been there and who actually did it right, right? <laughs> right, or who did it wrong and who yeah. tell you not to do that, right? Exactly. And so, so yeah. So it's, as a parent, you know, I've been slow to get to it, and now realizing I got to sort of prepare her for that because reality is, is that you know she's going to get these offers like I got, right? So there will be an opportunity for her to build credit or to mess up her credit, and understanding that credit cards is not free money. Mm-hmm. And it's not even cheap money. Most of the time, it's really expensive money, right? right? So to understand that money is either cheap or expensive, it's never free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so figuring out how to get access to it. So the student loan money, cheap money. Mm-hmm. Credit card money, generally expensive money. Uh, and so understanding, like, if it's not working for you towards building your credit, which allows you to get more money, more cheap money by, right, by right. Get, building good credit, uh, and so, yeah, just understanding the game and how, how it's played and, and, and I don't know, not being afraid of money, but understanding there's just rules about it, right? There's formulas connected to how things work. Uh, and, and so if you have a vision of how you like to grow, you yeah. need to do things financially that make sense. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually spending a lot of time thinking about how to best present these examples. A friend of mine has his daughter has a, a couple of accounts where she gets to control her investments. So sort of introduced her to the stock market. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was like, man, you're just so far ahead of the game with <laughs> me. Why ahead of the game? You know, I mean, but that's the thing. I think um, it's all about resource allocation and who have, if, if somebody got that education or they were, had the right circumstance and they are able to do that, that's fantastic. And it's, it's great. I definitely didn't have that growing up. Um, my mom was an immigrant, you know, it's, she didn't know much about saving and budgeting, but she got really good at it pretty fast. Um, but it is really, you know, it's that push pull of when you don't have it, it's a lot harder to build it up and to create that equity and that wealth and understand what you need to do and how you need to teach the future generations. The credit card companies have a plan. They have yeah. a strategy, oh, yeah. right? The strategy is about giving you uh, enough money so that they can collect interest off of you for the, as long as for possible. The rest of your life, the rest of your life is <laughs> optimally, right? And that 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 so that principle that they're giving you doesn't really matter to them as much. Mm. Like they're willing to give you a principle because they're going to make uh, over the course of this thing five, ten times, you know, more back. Off mm-hmm. of resources. And so, so that's sort of that they have a plan. So you need a plan. Your plan is like, how do I use credit to work for me? Like, all right, I got to spend $500 a month on stuff that I would normally pay out of my cash. Let me do that, pay it off. And that, that, that instrument then will increase my credit line. It'll increase my credit worthiness. It then may allow me to eventually get cheap money, but I don't want to use this expensive money. And I think that's the, that's the big lesson, not using this expensive money extensively, right? Using right. it only, you know, and, and, and really saving for emergencies as opposed to using your credit cards for emergency. That's sort of a big thing too, that I think <laughs> a misnomer that people think here, like I use my credit cards for emergencies. Like, no, that's not for emergencies. Like yeah. cash is for emergencies. <laughs> like, 
that's you know you'll end up you know in with with you know it's paying a really high percentage on that bill really expensive money for emergencies if you don't plan so yeah i'm excited about doing that work with daughter uh, and trying to apply the lessons i've learned myself wonderful and then there's also the lessons around going to college and how do you finance college right so, and you're, you're not only an entrepreneur, but you're also a college professor. So I'm sure you have a lot of uh, tips and tricks to share with her there. Um, yeah. And at least she has you to navigate through that process of financial aid, scholarships, loans, that whole world, because that also is a crazy world of financing and can impact your credit and, you know, where you're taking money from or where you're, how you're rolling with that. Well, I think it's just not being afraid of cash. Like college money is the cheapest money you can get. Student loans is the cheapest money that you can get. So a lot of people are like, I don't want to take student loans because I don't want to owe money. And it's like owing money, you know, having, you know, floating money is just a part uh, of life. Unless, I mean, it impacts your lifestyle. So there are some people I know completely like I'm not taking any debt. And so they take 10 years to complete their college degree, right? There's, there's some, some ebbs and flows with that. So let's say I'm making 50K a year, right? And so to get to that 50K a year, I need to complete my four-year degree. And that four-year degree takes me 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. So that means I have six years that I didn't earn 50K a year. Mm-hmm. So that's $300,000 worth of income I lost by taking an extra time mm-hmm. so that I don't have any debt. So yes. I have saved myself $50,000 worth of debt, but I've lost myself $300,000 worth of income. So you really have to be more uh, long-term and say, all right, so what sort of debt am I taking? How expensive is this debt? What career choice am I going into? For me, if you're going to be a teacher, uh, they have a public service loan forgiveness program, which means that ultimately, uh, most of the time as teachers, you don't make enough money to have to pay back Wow. A tremendous portion of that. So if it's income contingent, you know, especially if you live in California, you're going to be making less money than you, you know, need to pay it back. So you'll be paying a very small percentage of that. that, that. So, so having a game plan, understanding how money works beyond just the idea. If you're going to be a banker, then as a banker, then you're like, I'm going to make money, right? So how much money do I make? How much, you know, how long does it take me to pay off my loan? So being able to do that math, right? And then having an aggressive or a plan, not even to be aggressive, a plan to pay down that loan. Like, all right, so I'm going to take 50K worth of loan. I'm going to get an MBA. There's going to be another 50K. I'm taking $100,000. That MBA gets me another $25,000, $30,000. So it's like, all right, how long does it take me to pay that back. And so those are the type of math and you can't just be so singularly focused on, I don't want debt, right? You have to also think about, well, what is that debt getting back in terms of income potential? Mm. Uh, and how expensive is that debt, right? So versus, uh, you know, you know, if you're taking a parent loan, that loan is really expensive. If you're taking credit card money out to pay for school, like never pay for school with your credit cards. Like that's wow. never good. So paying for school with student loans, though, the percentage on that is small and deferred. Like you don't have to accrue interest while you're in school. And then the percentage is so much smaller than a lot. Just think about it. So 25 to 30% is what, the, you know, that they're charging these days for a credit card. That's the 
compounded interest, where uh, for student loans, we're looking at around five or six. Yeah. So, so that is cheaper money than, than what it is in your credit card. So people are like, oh, I'm using my credit card so I don't go into debt. But they <laughs> instead use You're gonna mean, pay yeah. expensive money uh, for something they could get for cheap money. Wow. So you can pay your student loans off early, which decrease even more the, the amount of debt that you have. So you can put together a plan that works for you. And I think that's a piece that I'm trying to do with my daughter. So understanding uh, the nuances it's not complicated. It's just nuance. The nuances of finance and, and being willing to invest in yourself, especially right. if you can invest in yourself for cheap money, cheap as money you get. Yeah, I love that. I've definitely been taking some mental notes. Um, I, I loved what you just said about taking student loans and taking this much time versus trying to fund it yourself, but take losing out on so much more money. That's a really great perspective. And I don't think people usually frame it that way. So I'm learning things uh, right now <laughs> that I'm going to put into play for my kid. Um, so if you could give your past self advice on credit and finance, what would you say? I think just the notion of free money moving away, like this idea of understanding that money costs, like whatever money you get costs. And I think that's a piece that uh, sort of, was really, but that that money, that getting money to help you facilitate things. Like as an entrepreneur, I need cash to start stuff, right? right? So understanding that taking money is fine to help facilitate your work, especially if you get it at the right price, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if I'm trying to start a, making a film, right? So as long as I have a strategy uh, as to what ROI looks like, what do I need to get to to get the ROI? It's really important. I, I have spent a lot of money on film development before that didn't make sense. I've hmm. spent a lot, a lot of cash on film development that's been too much. And so one of the things that I, I really would give my past self is to say, give yourself uh, a, a budget limit. Uh, just because you have access to the money doesn't mean you need to take all of it, right? And yeah. So you still need to be, approach a budget and be clear about what ROI moments we have to get, you know, one of the things that for example is like if it's worth doing, someone will put their money into it. Hmm. So giving yourself those sort of internal goals, like all right, I'll put 10k to develop this thing, but after I get in 10k, if I can get someone to match my 10k, then I have to step away because it's not viable if I can get an investor to see the value of it, right? Or I can get the bank to give me a loan for it. So I think those are the type of things that I would give myself is to understand that like, just because you have your access to, I, I was brilliant in, in understanding how to get access to books, <laughs> how, to, how to leverage cash in the bank mm -hmm. uh, and good credit to get access to pools of cash. But oftentimes I access the full line of credit and mm -hmm. went out on a limb to build this vision, right? Right. Not understanding that the, it changes, right? You can't yeah. necessarily just lock in on a vision. The, the biggest part of entrepreneurship is being able to pivot with changes and to ask yes or no questions and accept uh, no's that you don't want to hear, right? Hmm. And those no's sometimes will force you to pivot to a better stance in terms of business. And so that's the big thing that I'm moving on now in terms of working and redoing. It's like, all right, it's difficult sometimes. I put a lot of energy into like going in a certain way. And then I was like, I asked some lady yes or no questions to make sure I'm on the same page. And I'm yep. like, nope, I got back the answer that I didn't need. So now I got to pivot. And so, uh, you know, just being true uh, to 
what what the world is telling you, being true to what the money is telling you, uh, being true uh, to what your own capacity is, and to to be able to know, to be able to analyze other people's capacity as well. Yeah. Awesome. So if you had $100,000 right now, what would you do with it? I think, uh, you know, I, you know, I would not save it. That's one thing that I like, that's, that's something that I think, no, because it's something with my whole stuff is like, you got that, you save it, you know? And I was like, no, I would, I would leverage it. And yeah. so the, the biggest thing that I learned is that like, if my, whatever I need to do to get my credit even better, I would mm-hmm. do all those things to get the credit better because 50K in the bank and 800 plus credit will get you hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. in credit, nice. right? And so uh, I would leverage that to pursue the short-term endeavors I have now. So the things that have got proof of concept already, uh, sometimes the things need momentum and cash will help you get that momentum. So figuring out ways that I can create momentum, uh, create ways to minimize the number of partners I have on board, because partners are great, but usually partners cost equity, yep. right? And so sort of I would use the resources to leverage that to get resources to then minimize my number of partners and my short-term endeavors uh, so that I could grease the wheels. So I'm like, hey, instead of paying you a fee for legal or instead of me deferring your fee for legal, which is going to cost be more expensive for me later, let me pay at a reduced rate. Like I can get the best rate I can negotiate. And then when we're done, I don't owe you any of the back end. Right. Yeah. And so I think I would look at the the parts, the, the projects that are, are, have got proof of concept and I would invest in those projects uh, to minimize uh, the, the number of partners I needed to bring on to facilitate those, those projects. Nice. I, I, you know, it's interesting. You're the third interview and every single one has been entrepreneurs who would invest it in their companies and do the same thing that you just said. So there's definitely a pattern here. Um, (laughs) so I'll be really interested to see what future guests have to say who aren't in the entrepreneurial space. And if their answers are the same, but with a different subject matter or if they're very different. So no, I think, I, mean, I think that that's a thing. I think, uh, you know, the only, you know, real estate investment is awesome. Like, you know, opportunity is there. So, you know, yeah, it's a lot of different ways you can use it, but the idea is to try not to touch that money, but mm-hmm. to leverage that money to help your business. And I think that's, that's the secret of what we do. Uh, LLCs and corporations allow for you to, to leverage your personal resources in a way where you don't have to necessarily use those uh, as you are trying to grow a business. And you can write off some of these losses and, you know, whatever. So you can get out there and be a little aggressive, especially with good credit in the pile of cash in the bank. <laughs> yeah, nice. So, Mr. Stephen, the Prof Cleveland, how would listeners find you and find out more about you and your projects and what you're doing in the world? So I'm doing a lot. There's always a lot going, but I think that, you know, in this moment, the energy is about uh, Black excellence, which we're building, which is the idea of promoting Black excellence. Um, You know, on a personal level, it's about, you know, Figuring how, you know, how do you 
deliver high quality things against the headwind of systemic racism, right? And that's, mm. that's really what, to me, at the core of what Black excellence is. It's like my daddy told me that I had to work 10 times harder in order to get the same thing as my counterparts. And so excellence was just built in. You had to do things excellently in order to get any sort of return on investment. And so anyway, that to me is awesome, exciting. Uh, specifically partnering with folks and, and can tell you more about that and how it works at what schools in particular highlighting black excellence as it shows up in the campuses. Uh, so that's a really exciting part of thing that I'm doing. The other piece is A King in Paradise, which is the film one. Uh, well, the project I'm doing is that's inspired by King's time in Hawaii in 1959, but really is about looking at the lessons of that sort of civil rights generation that they have for us. Mm -hmm. as we think about what's next for America. And so uh, www.akinginparadise.com is where you can go find out more about that project. Uh, Black Excellence, uh, you know, is coming more soon. If you want to hear and talk to me about it, stephen.assistant at theproflife.com. You can schedule a time to have one-on-ones with me. I love talking to people uh, <laughs> and, and dreaming a bit about looking for ways that I can add value to what you're doing or looking for ways you can add value to what we're doing. And so if you want to talk more about Black Excellence or A King in Paradise, please come chat with me. Know that I have 20,000 projects that are all in development, <laughs> but uh, I really, you know, my energy, the, the, the immediate energy of these two projects, which I really think are connected to where we are as a country, where we are globally in terms mm -hmm. of trying to figure out what's next for us. How do we build a world that's more equal and accessible for all and that's that's what my energy is about this at this moment awesome. so i'd love for you all to join me in that endeavor uh and, and go to king and uh, to find different ways you can support that work wonderful thank you stephen uh, it was really eye-opening to speak to you and learn more about your story and how you're going to help shape future generations aka your daughter uh, in her journey, particularly with finance and credit. So audience, thank you for coming back again this week. And I will be back next week with another guest talking about credit and giving credit where credit is due. This podcast has been brought to you by Kitty Credit, a mobile app designed to educate children on the credit system by completing chores. Now available in the App Store and on Google Play. For more information, go to kittycredit.com. K-I-D-D-I-E-K-R-E-D-I-T dot com.